Hi, this is Zach. And this is Patrick. And welcome to Pipecast. Where we pipe up for pipes and pipe down for what? Back in the saddle again. Hello, my friend. Hey. How you been? I'm making it, making it. How about you? Good, good. Back again for another, another rendition here. Another long-awaited episode. Mm-hmm. Number eight. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, I believe the uh, the voting for the bracketology is com- completed. Yeah. So we got our our playoff. We'll get we'll get into that a little bit later. We'll break down how that's going to shake out. What are you smoking on? I am smoking. Samuel Gone with Skiff Mixture, which I've been hunting for a while because uh, Skiff Mixture is the sister blend to Squadron Leader. And for some reason, uh, Gawiths are extremely difficult to find. Uh, unless you are listening to us right now on Friday, March 29th, there are some Gawith blends available at smokingpipes.com, I just found out. So, because. Mm-hmm. Want to run over and grab some? I bought two tins of seventeen ninety two flake, which is almost impossible to find now. Uh, it's got that good Tonquin bean uh, flavoring mm. on it. There's it's a pretty hard hitting nicotine kick to it, but uh, have you had it before? Yes, oh. I have. Um, I just figured I'd go on and grab some. I think it's two tins per, but they have Squadron Leader and they have Skiff Mixture, um, which is funny because I got Skiff Mixture on Tuesday. I accidentally walked into a cigar shop. Uh, that I don't normally frequent, and they had it. Uh, they had it and Squadron Leader and Squadron Leader and uh, and the Dark Flake, which is 1792 Flake without the Tonkwood flavoring. Mm. And they had a couple more in there that I saw. Um, nothing really that interested me that much. I mean, I probably will grab some more Skiff Mixture and Squadron Leader if I uh, just to kind of store up. I'm not. It's kind of funny, like, um, people really revere uh, Galwith's blends, and um, they're good. They're fine. Um, they're really well-rounded. I just prefer their uh, kind of Lakeland aromatics more than their English blends or their Latakia Oriental blends. I think I think McBaron really and um, GLPs kind of have the high watermark on uh, those blends right now. Obviously... You know, if you're uh, mining the gold that is Esoterica, um, those are also exceptional blends. They're just more difficult to come by. Yeah. But I do think, I think truly right now, I mean, HH Latakia Flake and um, Westminster, my GOPs, and Chelsea Morning, Chelsea Morning my GOPs. Um, I think those are really, like, good staples. Of course, you can, you know, if you like your vapors, there's Fillmore. And um, and if you can get a hold of it, Peter Heinrich's uh, Dark Strong is amazing. But that's not a vapor. That's a, that's kind of got Dark Fire Kentucky in it, which is where I'm, I've been at a lot. But, you know, I think, you know, people were always shocked about, you know, oh, I can get this, I can get that. I'm telling you, man, they're... There are readily available delicious tobaccos on the market right now, and there is no reason um, 
really to be hunting um, for those really hard to hard to find. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would never lowball you guys on Esoterica or Samuel Godwell. I'll tell you kind of matter-of-factly how good they are, how not so great they are, but they're definitely worth the hunt. I think that the chase is just as important as the smoke um, just because it's kind of exciting. But, uh, you know, I mean, we're finding out this is kind of my first light-up of Skiff Mixture. Yeah. In, uh, well, before we get into what you're smoking in, I'm also smoking Skiff Mixture okay. as well. We're both smoking. He was gracious enough to lend me some. Uh, but now, let's go on and get into what we're smoking in. You go first. Well, this is a uh, pipe of Zach's that I'm trying out for the first time. It is a... What is it? It's a Gord Calabash pipe with yeah. a Meerschaum bowl and a silver cap by uh, Thikri Baki, who's a Turkish uh, Meerschaum master. Um, I don't actually think his pipes are being imported into the United States anymore. I think he closed that out like a year ago or something. Um, but his uh, his Meerschaum pipes are much sought after prizes. He's a really, really, as far as like an artisan is concerned, he's got a real heavy grasp on Meerschaum uh, carving and Meerschaum just craftsman. That's just what it is. So It's uh, a very nice you said it was going to be cool and mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's awesome so I mean like if you you know I think I've said on the podcast before uh, Meerschaum really does tame down tobaccos it absorbs nicotine it kind of makes um, more rambunctious tobaccos a little bit more manageable um, Meerschaum doesn't go so you can pretty much smoke anything in it um, it cleans up real nice you can smoke it to death um, then if you add in um, a gourd calabash uh, element to it, which is a, uh, a gourd from Africa that has been shaped into, it's been cut off at the, uh, I guess at the hilt. And so it's basically like a reverse, I guess, I think they're in the pumpkin family or something like that. So it's just a upside down, uh, I'm trying to, deep chamber that uh, allows you to, it, it does, I think, a little bit more absorption inside of it, and it, it cools the smoke. And so when you go from a Meerschaum, which has its own kind of taming effect to the deep chamber of the gourd, I mean, you're really smoking kind of a, a much milder uh, tobacco than what you normally would inside like a briar or corn cob, which is going to give you that extra punch because it really doesn't cut the heat or anything down on it. Yeah. That's why you really want to smoke stronger tobaccos inside of Gourd Calabash, in my opinion. Uh, it's a great pipe. I mean, oh, it's man. it's not something I think I would smoke out in public. It's kind of my Christmas pipe, but uh, I know you wanted to try it. Yeah, so. and yeah, I, I, I would have to agree. I probably wouldn't smoke it out in public. It seems a little too... It has nothing to do with like the flashiness of it or anything like that. It just seems a lot of work because you can't, you can't easily set it down. It it takes up a lot of room, I guess, around you in your personal bubble. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't. I don't think it's a. It's a public kind of, kind of pipe. Well, even even though you said it's not too flashy, it is a little like kind of ostentatious, a little too flashy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sort of gives you that vibe of the, of a, inglorious bastard, like the, the mm-hmm. opening scene. It sort of has that kind of punch it to it. Definitely has that kind of old nineteen, forties Sherlock Holmesy feel to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it. But I mean, it, man, that cooling effect is mm-hmm. pretty nice. Yeah. But now the the pipe you're smoking, that's a almost sort of new to you in a way. It's a new old pipe, a pipe that I accidentally lost and then rediscovered it because I was cleaning out some stuff um, last weekend. It is my five dot Sassini. I love this pipe, and I thought for sure that I had just lost it or it had been thrown away somehow. Um, but we we're cleaning our closet, and my wife was like, "Hey, do you do you know you had a pipe in here?" And I walked into because she said it. And I was in another room, and I walked in there and I saw it, and it's this beautiful five dot Sassini with a vulcanite stem. It's been it's black sandblasted. I love this pipe. It smokes amazing. Like. I think this is the, in terms of when I bought pipes, this is one of my earlier pipes, probably the third, what I call third tier, not necessarily in like um, the pipe itself, but just like the third wave of pipes that I bought, it came in that group. So I sort of brought a Dunhill and one Italian pipe. Um, and then, you know, I, everyone has heard the story of me. My, uh, my buddy gave me a Peterson. That was my first pipe. Mm-hmm. And then... The first ones I bought was a Dunhill and just some Italian pipe that uh, my, I think, uh, uh, my brother left outside once and it ruined it. So I just chunked it. And then, um, <laughs> and then this would be like a part of that third wave. It's an estate pipe. Um, I got it at my local brick and mortar. I was actually talking about it with him the other day, uh, Robin, at uh, the Humidor Pipe Shop in Huntsville. Mm. Um, but, uh. Yeah, I got it there. Uh, it smokes great. It's, uh, you know, I think something about those old English pipes are just, they just knew what they were doing. It's got the, you know, it's got a good chamber and nice thick walls. Um, it smokes a cool. A Dublin, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it looks like a straight Dublin because it flares out at the end. Sandblasted straight Dublin. But, um, you know, um, I'm going through a process right now. I smoked the Dunhill pipe. On the show, and this is the Sassini, um, and then I'm going to smoke an Ashton and a Ferndown pipe. Um, and the interesting thing about that, in the in that order, um, so Dunhill and Sheraton were sort of the original, the OG, if you will, English pipes. And what happened? There were some split offs. So Joel Sassini. Uh, was the first. He split off and he created the Sassini pipe. And they had some seconds like that they produced too, but the Sassini dot pipes are what I desire. They're my favorite pipe on the market. And then later, um, oh man, off the top of my head, I can't think of his name, but the guy who created Ferndown, I think his name was like Larry. The guy who created the Ferndown pipes, he was the silver worker for Dunhill. He split off and so did John Taylor or the guy who created Ashton Pipe split off. So there's really three subsidiary kind of companies that spun off from the Dunhill brand. Um, I know Sassini worked for Sheridan, but um, it would have been Sassini, Ashton, and Ferndown Pipes. And um, I'm not the most crazy collector, but I really wanted one of each of those pipes, or two really, um, of each of those pipes. From the spinoff of Dunhill. And I only got the one Dunhill. But I guess that to me is just a. Uh, <laughs> that just to me is a. Um, just something. I just feel like I need it in my collection. It's not something I'm really super proud of. But I, I love the Sassini a lot. So. 
Wow. It is a very nice looking pipe. And that'll it'll probably be in the in the post. You you'll mm-hmm. all get to see it. Um I believe the this uh this calabash has been in the post before, so you you've seen it if get on the Instagram page, you should be able to see it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that is a good, I mean, once you get all those ones, that'd be a nice, a nice picture of all four of them. The, Dun- mm-hmm. the Dunhill and the break-offs of. My wife's going to divorce me because I'm on eBay right now. I've been on a couple of Sassini's estates because they really they don't make them anymore so i i try to get so I've, it's funny because i've always tried to continue to get them i guess i'm not the only fan of sassini pipes because people consistently outbid me i got outbid last week on one and uh i got i'm bidding on two right now um and i know i'm gonna get outbid again it, it's kind of funny i mean it's just like one of those games you play you just try to stay in low and see what you can come up with. But uh, if I get one, I'll let you guys know. But uh, I'm always after Sassini pipes. It just seems like I'm always cruising on eBay looking for a Sassini to purchase. Uh, I saw one go for 200 and I think, 60 bucks the other day, unsmoked. And I was, I mean, it was, oh, wow. a, it was a billiard. I was really chomping at the bit to get it. I bid 50, and I got outbid in like two seconds. So, <laughs> um <laughs> And then it just kept growing. I mean, there's a bid war on it right now. I guess someone really wanted an unsmoked Sassini. Um, I showed it to a buddy of mine. He goes, are you smoking? I was like, yeah, of course I would. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I like collecting, but I like smoking pipes too. And I think that's probably someone would be really upset at me for saying that. But, I mean, I'm not collecting toys. Mm-hmm. I'm not collecting... I, I don't know what people really collect. Uh, watches or something like that. I mean, if you even watch yeah. these, I mean, you wear them. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of people got their different collections and what brings them joy. So, I mean, it ain't no thing. Mm-hmm. Really. Uh, doesn't seem like it is to me, but I collect pipes to a certain extent when I have, I mean, it's an expensive collection, but um, I like them and I smoke them and that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll go ahead and we'll give a little uh, breakdown of the where we're at with the, the, the bracketology and the results and whatnot. It's pretty successful, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a good, a good bit of uh, of uh, interactions with this and uh, responses. So uh, there are two different um, regions, I guess you could say. There is the the vapor region mm-hmm. and the English region. Um. So the seedings are in the um, in the English. The number one seed is uh, Dunhill's My Mixture Nine Six Five. Mm-hmm. The uh, second seed is Samuel Gawis, um, uh Squadron Leader. Number three is Esoterica's Margate, and then number four is uh, Ashton's Artisan Blend. So uh, you know there'll be an episode in two weeks. So next week. Uh, we will, me and uh, Zach, will take the week to um, smoke um, the uh, Squadron Leader versus Margate. Okay. We'll smoke those two and, um, you know, figure out our opinions. We'll, and we're going to keep them separate from each other. We're not going to talk about it. And then the next week, the week of the podcast, we will spend our time comparing uh, My Mixture 965 and uh, Artisan's Blend. 
And then more than likely on the next episode, we will uh, smoke two half bowls. And that's when we'll find out what, you know, what we, uh, what we think about it. And we'll probably have to, if we both come up with the two different opinions, then we may have to do some kind of tiebreaker. An audience, maybe tiebreaker or something like that. Uh, so then over with the uh, vapors, the number one seed was uh, the Escuda. Mm-hmm. Number two seed was Dunhill's Elizabethan mixture. Okay. Number three was um, Stokeby's um, Luxury Bulls Alkalate. And then number four was GLP's Telegraph Hill. Um, so, like I said, the, the next episode, the two weeks leading up to that, we'll do something similar with those and we'll come back with our with our results and then so we'll work our way down till we get a champion of the english and a champion of the, of the vapors and then we'll probably have a shoot off between those two you know just a really just a opinion all opinion based just you know which one do you like better um but yeah that's the seedings and uh i think we have been able to um gather all of these blends and we didn't have any of them we we were able to get them so, uh, <laughs> all you guys out in the pipeline, you're out, you'll pick some, uh, some troubling ones to get. Hell yeah. Um, I have to deep, dig deep into the old tobacco cellar to get some of those out because I haven't really touched some of them in a while. I've smoked, I think, everything on, on there. Yeah. Um, you have any idea who you think that's going to win? If we're talking about between us, um, I know it's a tough battle because I mean that very first one, Squadron Leader versus Margate, mm-hmm. um, which I have smoked Margate recently, and and I've smoked Squadron Leader, but it's been I smoked Squadron Leader back in January, and I don't really remember much about it. And I like Margate. I definitely think Pembroke is better, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, and I and I think in Soda Bed is better as well. But we'll just see. I, I don't know. I'm, and I've never smoked, I haven't smoked 965 or Artisan's Blend. And, um, and then I haven't smoked any of the, the vapors. So I, <laughs> my gut tells me that Margate will come out the victor of, of English. Okay. And then the vapor, I think a Scudo will come out on top. Okay. I think. I'm, I'm, I'm personally pulling for, uh, Bullseye or Telegraph Hill. Okay. Because I'd like to see. Well, I really am pulling for Telegraph Hill because that seems like an oddball of the group. Um, that is a weird one. You know, it's always surprising when I see Telegraph Hill or Stratford yeah. anywhere even close to Fillmore. Because Fillmore, to me, is the gold standard that GOPs offers in Vapors. Yeah. Um, and here lately, it seems like Fillmore has taken a backseat to Sixpence. And I smoke Sixpence, and it is nowhere near as... A tasty tobacco as Fillmore. Now it's got some sort of grape kind of wineish alcohol topping. Sixpence does that kind of gives it this this berry kind of flourish. Yeah. But Fillmore is the most. It just tastes so good, and it's probably because the Red Virginia and the I don't know. It's just so ripe and so sour. It's sweet and it's sour and it leaves this nice like it just has this great aftertaste. I, I smoked it last night. I smoked it again last night, knowing that I love Reiner, 
around her goal for you guys, and it has a little bit of white burly in it, but it's a Virginia Perique with a little burly in it. That's like sort of my go-to vapor burly-esque tobacco that I smoke. I smoked Fillmore, and I was like, man, I can't believe I'm not smoking this enough. I just, it's so good. And I'm, we're lucky, too, because Fillmore is a part of the Fog, I think the Fog City series, so it's not going anywhere. It's not going to be affected by any, like, yeah. FDA reg. You know, but Six Pants is going the way of the dinosaur, and, you know, you guys need to get on the Fillmore train with me. I haven't smoked Six Pants yet. No. I'll bring you some. I mean, it's, it's pretty good stuff. I mean, it's not, like, I don't think, that, I think every tobacco, to a certain extent, has merit. Um, unless it's an aromatic, and I'm not knocking aromatics, I'm just saying I, I've had aromatics that just weren't good. But for me, every non-aromatic non-aromatic has some merit to it. You know, some people, because uh, you pull back a little bit on Latakia, maybe you make the Latakia a little bit more pronounced, it's more Virginia, there's a tad more Paris, blah, 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 blah. Everyone's taste is going to be a little bit different to me. It just, the different types of toppings, the different types of mixtures, are going to add that element that you really like. Yeah, and you know, and I, and I think sort of sort of going off of that a little bit, it's like um, sort of the whole goal of this was to be able to say, you know, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna commit to a certain few, uh, a certain tobacco uh, for a certain blend, you know, what you know, what's the best? You know, what's comparable to some of the stuff that's hard to find, or, right? Or is, you know. In the view, in the eyes of the pipe community, the, the best, um, and you know, like uh, Elizabethan can't get it anymore, uh, or it's it's hard to get. Um, Margate is hard to get. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not as hard as um, the other esotericas, but it still is hard relative to, um, you know, to, you know, I guess I don't know, uh, artisan blend. Uh, Squadrillator sometimes difficult to get. You can't get nine. You won't be able to get nine six five after a while. Um, but Telegraph Hill, you can get it any you know anytime. Bulls luxury uh, Bulls Eye Flake, you can get it anytime. So it's good to know you know what's what's comparable and, and stuff. So, um, anyways, it is funny talking about the Fillmore. I think you you could still really just call it a vapor because I'd only heard that White Burley. It don't even have a taste. It just adds smoke. It just adds a lot of smokiness to the smoke. So, I mean, I don't even think you would even need to caveat it as, mm-hmm. as to having burley. That's true. But speaking of the, um, of Fillmore and Stratford and Telegraph Hill, sort of a shout out to another big pipe community guy for stuffing things. You know, I know he had that big battle to replace Elizabethan with, um, with Telegraph Hill, Fillmore, Stratford, and I, I have Stratford, and you have Fillmore. Mm-hmm. Of course, we both have, or you've had Telegraph Hill, right? Mm-hmm. No, I have not. So. There's just something about Fillmore. I feel like it really does. It's just more rounded. Um, it's a more consistent smoke, and it just tastes really good. One of the things that I've been struggling with here lately is on TobaccoReviews.com, or just when you listen to opinions. Um, I don't feel like there's a standard uh, set forth. Like, what is your standard? Granted, taste is subjective. We all know this. But I feel like there's a, there, there needs to be these standard 
tobaccos. And not standard, like, this is a four-star or five-star. I'm talking about what is your middle-of-the-road, like, it's not super wowing. It's not terrible. It's just right in the middle. I feel like some of these tobaccos need to be found. So then you have a standard to base all your reviews on. It's like, this is so much better than, like, I would, I would to me, a Scudo would be sort of the middle-of-the-road vapor. It's good. It's a workhorse. It's available. You know, there should be some factors in there. Yeah. And then you can do your comparisons of Dunbar. How does Dunbar stack against a Scudo? You know, is it four-star, but it doesn't make five-star because it's not readily available? And I think there's some factors in there, and I think that's something that the pipe or the tobacco community kind of needs to get behind. They need to rally behind this idea that we need to find middle-of-the-road blends and then do our base judgments against those middle-of-the-roads. Because I, it's always like there's a... There's, it's non-standardized, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's not. And I think that could be a, a task that we that we jump up on mm-hmm. and try to tackle one day, create some kind of... Um, not, like a, not like a dictionary, but, you know, like a, a reference to... Um, to base things on, come up with a standard. Well, it doesn't appear to be a standard anymore. It seems that everyone is, uh, I mean, you can tell it's spring, because everyone is cutting grass right now. (laughs) Which I think is hilarious. It's like everything is cranking up right now. (laughs) Everyone's like, I'm home from work, time to cut this crap. So, with that said, we'll take a break. Just a short break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of coming home late with nothing else to do? Bored from work? Always exhausted? Kids got you down? Well, pick up pipe tobacco! Because you know and I know that you need to spend your damn money! Get out there right now and spend the money! Buy pipe tobacco this week at any brick and mortar and smokingpipes.com or any other online affiliate of a tobacco company or LLC. Welcome back. Yeah, we uh made to take a break there to watch out for them lawn clippings, you know. But um, no, yeah. So what, what we were saying before we took the break, maybe we'll pick up one day a good old standard, the pipe cast standard when it comes to tobaccos. Just something standard in terms that you can buy, and you know, I mean, it'll give you something to base everything off of. Oh, I, you know, this is what they think, and then. You can add your two cents on toppings, or there's more Virginia here. This is more citrusy than this. Yeah, I think having a a standardized mixture list would mm-hmm. really help you out. Like I think, um, which I mean, I haven't smoked that much. Um, other uh, like Faber type blends, but of course, you know, I love on Bookshop. But I also I've smoked uh, old Joe Krantz, and I and I don't really like old Joe Krantz. You smoke Stonehaven too, right? Yep. Yeah. That's a vapor. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. So see, I, you know, you, you might could say, you know, Haunted Bookshop is your more middle of the road vapor, you know. Right, and you might find that something else is more high end than the other. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, as far as like Balkan blends, I mean, you can't really to me, you can't get any better than. Plum pudding. Plum pudding's very good. 
Um, I mean, the, you know, I think Bengal Slices has a lot of merit, too. I feel that it's pretty balcony. Um, it's, in terms different. of, like, all the... Everything in the kitchen sink blends. I think there is one difference between Bengal Slices and Plum, plum Pudding. I'm trying to remember. Because, one, I, they're, I don't have them to the same pipe. I, I, the two different pipes are dedicated to those two blends. I'm trying to think what the difference is. Uh, I know Bingo Slices has a touch of like anise, and I think um, along with the that kind of licoricey topping, it has some Cavendish in it. But I think Plum Pudding has Cavendish too. Yeah, I think it might be. Could it be Perique? You know, I, I, if, if anything, I think that Bengal Slices has the free. I'll have to look at that. Yeah, something, uh, something is separating the two. I want to try White Knight and Black House because those are Russellette's uh, Balk and Sobrani mixes. And because of, so if you, you know, Meridian, which is a part of the London series, old London series. Mm-hmm. Which will go away because it's post two thousand seven. If the FDA has anything to do with, I guess Black House will too. But Black House, Meridian, and Blue Balkan, which is a McClellan blend. I think they went head to head. I think Black House actually won the actual judge, but then I think the crowd favorite was Blue Balkan. And if you've ever heard me talk about Blue Balkan, you know that I think it's an exceptional blend, and I miss it dearly. Um, and Meridian's great. Meridian is super great. GLP's knows what he's doing. I, like I said, I've said before, sometimes with his blending, I feel like I don't get a very consistent, um, you know, flavor from top of the bowl all the way down. But maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe that's just me. But Packaging. Pack, it. Yeah, just, it could be anything. But they're very good, you know. Um, it's, they both sort of remind me of like a stronger artisan's blend mm, okay you see you know that's another thing too like within blends you have you have more stuff like especially in English you know because in, in English you have more Latakia heavy blends you got more um, I don't know about Perique but you may have more Burley heavy blends maybe mm-hmm. um, so even then like it's like you would have to have a several different, you know, middle of the road English blends. Right, right. Because, um, like, what? Commonwealth is a Latakia heavy. Commonwealth is. Commonwealth and the HH Latakia Flake are two of my favorite Latakia heavy blends. But I do give the edge to HH Latakia um, because it has a. Nice buttery finish. Hmm. I would. I'm literally gonna buy that stuff by the pound. No, really? you can buy it by the pound. It is that good. You can buy McBaron. Sure can. You can buy a block of it. And once I find out what uh, Old Darkfire is like, the HH Old Darkfire, mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy a pound of it too if it's good. Have you had the Acadian yet? Not yet. Oh yeah. And and, and I haven't had their Balkan blend either. I I, I really like Acadian. We need to smoke it. Oh, so. well, maybe I did smoke it. I feel like I have it though. I'm gonna stick with my guns on that. There's a there's a fifty fifty chance. If I only it's only been one bowl and I've already forgotten it. I say you bought it and then gave it to me. 
Yeah, gifted you. And it was the first McBaron blend that I smelled that I noticed the, the um, I guess, famous ketchupy smell or bar- barbecue smell, whatever it is, at the uh, as far as the tin note. Because uh, it wasn't there for Latakia, like, and it's not there for uh, vintage uh, Syrian. People mention it in Squadron Leader a lot. Oh, really? They said that Squadron Leader has a sort of ketchup mm. smell. I didn't know it. it I thought it was just McBaron's that had that. I didn't know Galwith had that. I've heard uh, people Mm. say Galwith has that ketchup-y smell. Um, I think maybe it's more pronounced with McBaron, but I I don't smell it with Skiff, and Skiff is just a more oriental version of Squadron Leader. Mm. So maybe it has something to do with the the components and the amount of Latakia. But, I mean, Skiff's pretty good. It's not... It's not terrible. Yeah, I'm I not, still I'm think like I like Commonwealth a lot more. I mean, but maybe it's just because I'm a, I'm maybe I'm just more simplistic. I just like a Latakia slash Virginia. <coughs> yeah, me. yeah, I'm liking this. But I mean, I dare say it's almost like an aromatic to me. There's not a lot of going on. It does feel like I feel like this is probably the most middle of the road Latakia blend I've ever had. This could but be the I, standard. Well, I read that this is what, um, that someone felt that Skiff mixture was basically Dunhill standard mixture. Oh. But, but, but now you're not a big fan of standard mixture, right? Not really. I mean, it's because I gotta have more to it. There was an old um, Anglican priest or whatever in Huntsville that someone was talking about at the, at the, at my brick and mortar shop. And they were saying that, you know, cause we were talking about Dunhill standard and just some of those kind of middle of the road blends that really you kind of need to add something, give it a little kick. Mm-hmm. And they said he took old iron sides, which is sort of like just, that's just wilding out. You know, that's a strong blend. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a strong, it's like black XX from Samuel Galway. Just Wild, you know. Who makes them? Uh, old Ironsides. I th- uh, it might be the standard. The Scandinavian tobacco group might blend it. I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. I'll look it up real quick. But like, uh, he would take old Ironsides and add Latakia to it to make it stronger than what it was. And people were like, Good "God, man, that's just uh, uh, too much." But yeah, it comes. Um, Maybe we'll have to. I know I can get a hold of it somehow, um, and uh, we can try it. It's it's extremely Dan Tobacco makes it. Mm. Yep, I can get a hold of it. Um, but you can if we can get some old Ironsides, we can smoke some of it. But apparently, it's extremely like it's like the Latakia lover, mm. you know, super strong, super heavy stuff, and then they and then they added more Latakia to it. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I got some of those component blends from Cornell and Dale. I'm thinking about mixing up my own recipe. Really? Yeah, just coming up with something. You want to top it with anything? Age it? Compress it or anything? I think the only thing I may do is just age it. I would like to compress it, but I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> there'd be some old country redneck way. Yeah, I mean, a couple textbooks on top of it. There you go. <laughs> But I, I definitely want um, 
he probably will end up being considered a Balkan or something. Because I, I sort of, I don't know. It'll, it'll definitely have Virginia, Parikh, and um, and Burley in it. Now, what else? It'll, I don't know if I'll throw Latakia or not. I might play with the fact of not throwing Latakia, but throwing some Turkish. That'd be good. I mean, just some extra Oriental in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, always gives it an extra little flair. I wish McClellan was still around because they had these great Oriental blends where they would put one particular Oriental leaf to the forefront and you'd get to kind of taste it within a blend. And Man, those are so good. I went through every single one of those. Um, they were so good. I know I keep lamenting McClellan, <laughs> and you guys probably hate me for it, but th- those particular blends are really educational that's probably where i got my love for the oriental leaf just from those if you do want to try something kind of exotic and interesting definitely check out regent's flake or temple bar by gops um they're very good i think i take i don't particularly like a bar uh, or a cake um that's just me i'm gonna cut it up into flakes and then break all the flakes out but they're whole leaf uh bars so they're layered as leaves, but I cut all mine up and blended it. And I'm telling you, man, Temple Bar, it tastes just like fall in a bowl. And that's all it is. Really? It's got kind of a an, a crisp apple flavor mm. with a little touches of cinnamon. And it's sweet. And the Virginia has this kind of hay. So it just reminds me of that really middle of October smell you get around Alabama. Where it's just, you know, you just it's cool, but it's still, like, if you're in the sun, it's going to be a little warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to it's, get some of that. It's super enjoyable. It's a great smoke. It's uh, it's even, you know, for GOPs, that's relatively even. I mean, I think I could probably could have sliced it up a little bit more. But if you're, if you're real concerned, I don't think there's, there's not enough difference between Regent's Flake and Temple Bar that, like, you should be you know, picking one or the other. I recommend getting both, obviously. But, um, you know, check out Regent's Flake. it probably have a little bit more of a... You don't have to slice it yourself. You can kind of go through it a little bit more uniform mm. as, as far as the smoke goes. But you should check that out. It's good. You have some simple bar? Yeah, I got some. Mm. I'll bring it. I'll bring it for you. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm excited that we're going to get the... Do some 1792 flake. Yeah. I did not know anything about it till you mentioned it today. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, so it's in English? Mm-hmm. No, well, no, it's like, um, uh, I think it's Kentucky Burley with Tonkin Bean. Oh. I don't think it's fired either. Really? Yeah. I think it's a Kentucky leaf. Hmm. And, oh. And it's a flake, and it's got tarquin, so it's going to taste kind of, it's going to have like a little bit of a brown sugar chocolatey note, and it's going to be pretty strong, so you need to be careful how you smoke it. But, I mean, I haven't had it in, I don't know, six years, maybe five. It's been a minute since I've had it. It's a, it's it's one of their best sellers, but, I mean, it's um, it's a good, it's a good flake. I mean, you should, you should check it out. I mean, you're going to. I mean, that's the, the joys of sitting across from me is I'm just going to bring you the flake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll put it in that. It ghosts like a mother. So we need to put it either in uh, a Meerschaum or a Calabash. It does. It ghosts like a... Okay. 
it's pretty severe. So we need to definitely either get a corn cob or something like that to smoke it in if you want the full effects, or you can use a meerschaum of mine or something. I actually need it. I'm in the market right now for another corn cob. It just seems like all you suckers out in pipe collecting land keep buying up all the ones I want. So the they came out with Meerschaum, Missouri Meerschaum came out with a St. Patty's Day with a beautiful green stem. I wanted it so badly and it sold out. And then they had a couple of the Cornell and Dill ones with these nice red acrylic stems and they're sold out too. So I know you guys have got it. I know you're smoking on it. So why don't you go ahead and leave us a Instagram comment and taunt me a little bit because as you know, I've been probably looking at them and every time I look at them because they leave Missouri Meerschaum leaves their dead gum photos up and it just says out of stock. So either I've got the worst timing in the world, which is probably true, <laughs> or they're just leaving it up just to be like, ah, I feel shame for not buying the Cornell and Deal or the St. Patty's Day pipe. <laughs> they're really pretty. I like those pipes a lot. Speaking of St. Patty's Day pipe, those those Peterson ones look awesome. Yeah. That that green. Oh my so they had the, uh, I still have it too. They have those St. Patty's Day Peterson pipes at at our our humidor, uh, or our pipe shop. And uh, they do. Yeah, they do. And I, I don't pretend. All right, do you hear that, guys? Do you hear that? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He he's been avoiding the pipe shop because he doesn't want to see him, and he knew he they were going to be there throughout the months of March. So I knew he knew that they were there, but he might not have known that they kept a couple. Because there's a couple of those system pipes up on the uh, up on the shelf, and I've looked at them a couple of times. And every once in a while, I want to uh, every, every occasionally, I kind of have a cruelty within me. I, I'll send Patrick a link to a pipe, and I'm almost positive he's going to love. And then I just say, "Whoops!" Always, oh, yeah, <laughs> yes, every time. I know he doesn't enjoy clicking on those links, but. I still click on them. Yeah, anyway. the temptation is too strong, and then now you have to suffer, and that and that's really what the love of piping is all about: is making other people who love pipes suffer along with you because you can't have the thing right now. There's pipes and friendship, right there. Mm-hmm. I'm in the process of right now of slowly paying off a pipe, um, and uh, it helps my pocketbook, but it doesn't help my. Uh, well, maybe maybe it works my patience a little bit. Not really, because if it, even if it took me, let's say, four months to buy a pipe, yeah. by slowly but surely putting payments down on the pipe, right? Mm-hmm. After I've acquired the pipe, I could still walk in the next day and buy like six pipes and not feel anything about it, not needing patience anymore. I would just go ahead and buy the pipes. So does it really work patience? Because I'm not. The effects are only in the in the frame that my wife has budgeted me for <laughs> because she says I have been a problem and I understand that yeah I mean you're addicted to buying pipes one of my uh, sassier colleagues said sent me uh, a message the other day because she knows about our pipe cast and she said that People who have uh, psychological issues do podcasts to try to deal with their demons. And I was like, what demons do I have? I'm just smoking a pipe. And she goes, 
I don't know. You have to ask yourself that question. <laughs> now, I every time I come to the table and I hook up and I get the mic, I have this sort of existential crisis where I think, like, maybe I do have a problem, and I'm just inventing it a little bit. Like, the pipe is a, is actually sort of a, a negative or something. And you know what? Not a hell with that. I don't care what she says. She's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she'll hear that. Mm. Has she listened to it before? I don't think so. I don't think she cares. Speaking of people that we know, shout out to uh, Hayden. You know who you are. And we're only shouting out to you just because. He asked. He asked for a shout out? Yeah. And I said, why? He said, just because. Okay. So, just because. Hey, Hayden. Hey, buddy. How's it going? How's your weekend? How's that moped? Moped? That's right. He's got one of those. He rode it today. That's right. Uh, well, yeah. Um, shout outs. Shout outs all around. I not much to shout out here lately. No, I mean, we sort of went a little wild last last time we got together. Mm-hmm. Talking political. Huh? Talking a little political last time. So, I mean... Sort of unusual. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll do it a little bit more here and there. But, so, I think today, we're going to talk a little um, um, writing. Okay. Because I'm sure all y'all out there know, me and Zach are somewhat of a writer. Zach is a lot more um, experienced writer than I am. I don't know what that... I mean, like, I like writing. I've been doing it for a while. I'm not particularly gifted at it. I got some things out in the pot right now. Uh, there's a... Uh, you can actually read one of my stories on Shotgun Honey, but uh, there's an anthology that they've got uh, volume four of Shotgun Honey's brand of short stories, I guess. And I've, I've submitted to it. I don't know. I'm kind of a crime fiction... Writer. Wait, you got another one published from her? No, no, no. It's not published. I just I have one out. Oh. It's in the market. Sorry, I should have explained that. It's it's. I'm fishing it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just dropping. I'm seeing if I can get in. I'd like to get in it. I really like that story a lot. We'll see what happens. Which story is it? It's the line. Hmm. You remember that one? Yeah, it's a good one. I like the line. Uh, yeah, I mean. I'm sort of taking a little bit of a break from writing, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of fun that can be had with writing because, you know, you you get the itch, you want to tell the story, you write it, you put it all down on the paper, you send it to your buddy, your buddy looks at it, he critiques it a little bit, you, you take you take what he said, you add it in, do your own thing, another, another draft, send it back out, maybe somebody different, let them talk about it. Then when you think you got it, the very best you you can get it at that moment. Either let you either sit on it, you sell it, or you fish it out, like you said. Throw it out there, see if somebody will bite. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's a fun process. I mean, it's, I mean, it can get aggravating. Maybe you continually get rejection over rejection over rejection, but it's still fun. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some merit to there's some there's some 
taming of the ego that happens when you're submitting. Because people do not have any problems telling you that they don't want your story. And they're not necessarily rude about it, but they, the fact that they're so blase about it with just a form letter of rejection. Just like, yeah, this doesn't meet our needs. Thank you. It's sort of a slap in the face, especially when it, it actually doesn't hurt as much. I tell this to people all the time, unless you're really sensitive, really sensitive. It doesn't really affect you the first five times, first ten times, twenty, mm. thirty, forty. Your 50th rejection, though, where there's no response, there's no, there's nothing to keep you going. It doesn't even feel like people read it. That can be kind of depressing. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, <clears throat> I've probably been rejected five times, I think, and only like one or two has been a form letter. Mm. All the other ones, I've sort of got something bad. One of them I was not too happy about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take crit- criticism and rejection, but it just sort of seems a little funny. But, but hey. It depends on how serious you are as a writer and how seriously you're taking it, I think, too. Mm-hmm. I mean... Do you aspire to be a novelist? Me? Mm-hmm. Not do you want to, do you aspire to be one? In other words, that's like your end of life goal. Be a novelist? Yeah. Because I feel like if it was, it would hurt you a lot more. I'd rather be a screenwriter, I think. But being a novelist would be fun, too. They're both, like, really good. It's just they're both really difficult. Mm-hmm. Especially when you watch terrible films or you read a book that just doesn't seem up to par. with, And it doesn't even need to be your good or your idea. or You don't have to bring ego into it. It's just, I've watched things before and I've just been flabbergasted at how terrible the writing was. Just terrible dialogue or something. And, and while, yes, I will admit that I feel like I could do better, at the same time, it's just, who's out there that could do better than me? Ten times better than me. That's fifty times better than this screenplay. They got you know. There's there's obviously better stuff out there. Yeah, and that can be frustrating if you're if you at least respect uh, the craft or maybe respect just writers in general. Yeah. Um, and you just want them to succeed because I'm tired of listening to just bad dialogue in superhero movies. Sometimes someone was. I mean, I've said some things about Venom, which I didn't think was a terribly good movie. And then I heard someone say the other day that the dialogue in Aquaman was just so terrible. I didn't pay attention to it. it did. I know. I watched Aquaman. It, it dialogue didn't seem. It didn't seem like atrocious. I guess the worst, the worst dialogue I've seen in the in the last few years was the Star Wars: The Last Jedi. That was some rough dialogue. I think you said that's what killed it for you. Mm-hmm. I'd have been fine with everything else. Everything else that everybody was up in arms about. Well, whatever, I didn't care. For the dialogue. You got that much money. And you you, you got, like, you could hire anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, even if, even if somebody wrote the whole, like, plots and the plot and everything, you still could have, like, you're Disney. You have money to hire somebody to, to write good dialogue. And you did. <laughs> you didn't. And I just... 
I can't deal with that. And most time dialogue really isn't a thing I really care about too much. Well, it's definitely, I, I, I guess, I mean, if you talk to a playwright, they probably laugh in your face, but I feel like a lot of fiction writers think that dialogue is a difficult thing to, to master because it has to sound sort of natural. And the problem is, is when you're writing fiction, especially when you're, you're having to fill in the gaps with, um, you don't want to fill it in too much with exposition, but you have exposition and you have description of like, uh, you know, your surroundings and the characters, then, uh, little thunder, uh, it was just, it was just sunny outside. (laughs) If you, you have description of your characters and everything, then having a natural conversation between characters can be difficult because you want to pour so much sophistication. And there's... People aren't that sophisticated sometimes. They're just not. They're, I mean, I love having, like, humdrum conversations um, as much as the next guy and sophisticated conversations as much as the next guy. But I think you'll find that 90% of the time it's, hey, what's going on? Oh, nothing. The weather's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, the weather is crazy. Uh, I was driving in and it just came pouring down. But, you know, I made it, so it's okay. Yeah, man, I hear you. And that's it. That is interaction between folks. Just this this ridiculously boring, you know, back and forth that leads to nothing. There's no new information about the person that has been unveiled. But that is 90% of people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I don't know. I mean, the, harder, the hardest part with dialogue for me is making it. It, it, well, sort of going off what you said, but not really making it interesting. Just not. It's almost like you know you can tell when somebody's just reading off, reading lines off, and like they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. It's just a line's being read. Like as far as acting goes, a line is read, and then somebody responds with another another line. I have a trouble making my writing of dialogue not sound like that. Well, sometimes. An actor is just responsible for, for what you would consider to be terrible dialogue because they're just phoning it in. I mean, there's tons of great actors who've just done roles and they just phone it in. Like it's just like, yeah, I'm on set. Hang on one second. Oh my god, cut! <laughs> it's like, yeah, that'll do it. That'll what, what were we talking about the other day when we were talking about acting and and somebody? Um, yeah. I know where I'm wanting to go with this, but I'm trying to remember what led up to it. You were talking about the Mel Gibson thing. Oh, I was saying that we were talking about the difference between method acting and acting. And um, so to start out, man, I cannot remember this guy's name. Uh, It was was Dustin Hoffman and um, his counterpart in the Marathon Man. Um, who was uh, Lawrence Olivier um, and uh, Hoffman who's a method actor would go run like a mile so he could do the scene winded yeah. and then Lawrence Olivier's like response was like have you ever tried acting <laughs> you know and I think there's even a picture of like Dustin Hoffman sort of making a kind of nasty face behind Lawrence Olivier's back but um I always thought that that was kind of interesting, um, but then you had mentioned that um, 
Jared Leto, Leto, whatever, um, put in blank out contacts so he could uh, during the new Blade Runner, yeah, uh, twenty forty nine. So not because he's necessarily a method actor, he's investing that, but he just wanted anything to give him an edge, and that kind of made me reconsider how I felt about method acting, like where it's like, well, I guess if it's giving you an edge to make what you consider something you don't do very well a little bit better, that's something. But then there's a, a behind the scenes, I think, in the Ransom movie or cut scene. Anyway, it's the movie with Mel Gibson or whatever. And uh, he kind of like throws out acting like it ain't nothing. Because he's sitting there talking and joking around with everybody, and he's just like, yeah, I know, right? Because it was her horse, and then everyone busts out laughing, and then they're like, action! And he's just like, ah! And then just immediately starts crying. And I was like, how in the world is that even possible? And just like shedding tears, just like full on, like, you were just making jokes a second yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's just like, maybe some people are just naturally good yeah. at that kind of stuff. I think I know where I was coming from. We were talking... Okay, I, I, I'm a I'm a Marvel fanboy kind of guy. You know, I, I like their movies. And we were talking about some of the plot holes or little things that were a little off in the Infinity War movie. Mm-hmm. And I was just saying how, you know, if if that was the one plan that they had to succeed was Strange doing what he did, I was just sort of saying that, like, there's so many variables there that only that that he could not control. Mm-hmm. So how would he know that would happen? And I was sort of trying to make a point of why did he not just tell everybody that he was going to let them win? He was going to let Thanos win. Uh, is it one of those kind of situations where and this sort of rounds it back up? Is I've heard that some actors won't read uh, too far ahead in the script mm-hmm. because they want to actually have the when they hear something. When something happens, they want to be surprised and they want it captured. They want if their if their character is just not finding out about it, then they want to just now find out about it, and they want it to be sort of shocking. And it, that catch, and I was just sort of like, maybe that's what he wanted. <laughs> he, he wanted he wanted Thanos to think they were really fighting to to, to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if he had told them, I don't know. I, I and I'm sort of in the boat of why don't you just act? I mean, you just I mean. Read, read what you got to do, and then act. I mean, hmm. now I, I, I don't fault Jared Leto. I actually think that's pretty brilliant, putting in blind stuff. I mean, like stuff like that. Because, but then you, you look, you look at like Charlie Cox, the guy who plays Daredevil, mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't think he does that, and he kills it. Like he, like I, fully believe he's a blind man. You know, but I mean, like I said, like maybe Cox and Mel Gibson have more in common than. Jared Leto does. Maybe so. And I think Jared Leto is closer to a method actor. I think he's considered a method actor. Well, he's definitely started out as a musician. Yeah. Know. I like his his band, too. 30 Seconds to Mars? Mm-hmm. I didn't really get into them until maybe two or three years ago. There's a lot of bands that are old that I didn't start getting, that I didn't start listening to until mm-hmm. two or three years ago. He owned and 30 Seconds to Mars and uh, what's that one? Um. Oh dang! I can't. They do a song called Hell on Earth or something. Hmm. Dang! I can't remember what the name of that band is, but some emo band. Like Bright Eyes or something? No. Death Cab for Cutie? No, no. I, I'd heard. I'd listened to them before. Oh. Uh, it's about the 
The Black Parade. The Black. It's called the Black no, Parade. That's one of their albums. Dang, somebody listening is probably yelling right now that we can't even come up with that with the name of this band. My Chemical Romance. That's it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I started listening to them a few years ago. I, I, I sort of like them. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I, I, I'm not an actor. No, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I acted in a couple, in like a couple commercials, two or three commercials. And I, I was in like one play. So, I mean, I, I have acted, I guess, in the most rudimentary sense. But I'm not an actor, so I can't really say how hard it is. Uh, but, I mean, I know, like, what's funny is if I'm going to do, um, like, if, if, like, say my boss is out <laughs> out of work for a while, and I'm supposed to be the one sort of running the show a little bit, maybe, um, all I'll do, really, is just try to act. I treat it like an acting role. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, all right, well, what does he do? Okay, well, I'm just going to act like that. And it, it's easier than just being like, okay, well, let me remember what all he does. And it's more like just pretend to be that person. And it's a little bit easier than like writing it down and being like, well, make sure I do this and do that and do all this. It's just like, no, just do what he does and you're good to go. Yeah, just mimic it. That'll be yeah. Mim- mimicking is pretty easy, I think. But it depends on who you're mimicking too. That's also sort of, like whenever I, whenever we play like Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. like I'm whatever my character sheet says I'm supposed to be, I'm committed to that. Mm. Like even if it's not how I normally am, I mean that's I'm committed. You know I'm supposed to be the like the, the straight man, like you know we're not going to do anything outside of this, all this stuff. I'm, that's how it's going to be. If I'm chaotic, evil, then we're going to kill people. <laughs> you know, so this is how. I feel like it's very difficult to play a game with a lot of chaotic evils. Yeah, I don't really think you should have more than one in a game. Well, they're so untrustworthy. Why won't you just, I would just kill them and just move on if I was, you know. Yeah, if you were like, if you were like, what's the what's the middle neutral? Like, true neutral? Is that what it is? Mm. If I was a true neutral person, kill him. Kill, kill the chaotic evil from mm-hmm. the get-go. Yeah. How, how's that? What's the little? So it goes like, it's lawful, neutral, and chaotic. So then it would be like so you're, and then it would go good, neutral, and then evil. So then you have lawful good, neutral good, and then chaotic good, and then you have lawful neutral, uh, true neutral, and uh, chaotic neutral, and then you have lawful evil. Uh, Neutral evil and chaotic evil. Mm. Lawful evil would be the the most fun one to play for me. People consider that like the Darth Vader's of the world. Yeah, I like those. They seem like they'd be fun to play. Mm-hmm. I've never played as one, but that seems a lot like a lot of fun. Chaotic good also seems like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I guess would chaotic good be like a fat man, or is he lawful? He's not lawful good, is he? He can't. Chaotic good would be like your, like your Han Solos, and I'm doing a lot of Star Wars in today, but that's what it's like. 
I guess Star Wars is the easiest one maybe to make comparisons to. It just makes sense. What's the, what's the Joker? He's not chaotic evil, is he? He's chaotic evil. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Oh. Hmm? Okay. Makes sense. See the harder the harder roles to me are the are the neutrals are wrapped around the the, the true neutral because how do you how do you know what's neutral you know what I mean like like if you're lawful neutral well like what is that? like lawful neutral would be like C three PO oh Dang. and then chaotic neutral would be like your Lando Calrissian okay but your true neutral would be your Boba Fett Jar Jar Binks could be Chaotic neutral. He good. Or he could be chaotic good. He could be chaotic good. Really, he's probably chaotic evil. And in the grand scheme of things, yeah, he probably is. But then, like, okay, well, yeah, okay. Um, sorry, yeah, we're going wild on this one. Not wild like last time, but more like off the deep end nerdisms. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah, I need to need to get in there and play because I mean those games are fun to play when you can when you can start acting in them in a mm-hmm. way. Which I mean I don't have a lot of experience with it, but it just with the experience I do have, it seems a lot of fun. Yeah, there. I mean that's why the the game didn't go anywhere. It's why it's only expanded. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I guess everyone needs a, some sort of an outlet. Yeah. It's actually surprising because if you think about it, really and truly, what's taken the hardest punishment are board games, um, advanced or not. Like they really are the real outliers because they're sort of middling. Like if you're going to put that much effort into it, then why not play uh, just a straight uh, RPG, pen and paper, you know? Yeah. But then, on the other hand, it's like. Well, I want there to be some path, but if you're going to put so much effort into the path, like you know how it's sort of set that way, then why not just play a video game? Yeah. That's why board games have, I think, such a hard luck. <laughs> yeah. And too, and I think I think pop culture plays a, plays a role, too. Oh. You know, because like right now, like video games, you know, I mean, everybody. Like Twitch is a thing. So, I mean... That's just how it is. But then, like, well, I mean, board games are getting bigger now because of pop culture, because of references and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think D&D is making a Stranger Things themed campaign stuff. Well, I mean, obviously, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's come out yet, though. But Better license. Better license up, boys. That looks awesome. Mm-hmm. It looks like it'll be fun. Oh, that's a good news about it. Just like, you know, you really do anything with those kinds of games. You don't have any rules or anything. I guess if you're looking for that level of freedom. Yeah, because I was reading, like, you, I mean, I really want to play, I really want to be the DM of a dungeon or of, of a D&D game, but have it set in, like, a Terminator universe. Because that, that seems like that'd be a lot of fun. You mean just doing like regular dungeon crawls? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be that'd be pretty cool. I may attempt that whenever we get rolling in our D and D, if we ever do. Oh, hub at work. He 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 does it. So he's DM before. 
I like that guy. He's cool. Cool guy. He's got some. Uh, he's got some good knowledge. He's a quick learner. He learned uh, a couple of games we played, like two shakes of landfill. He's telling me the rules, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm an idiot." So good. <laughs> what what game? Uh, um, the mansion one, Mansions of Madness. Oh, that's my favorite game that we play. Yeah, that day you skipped out. You're like. I skipped out on you, and then you were like, man, this is ridiculous. Like, I thought you were going to stay, and you played uh, Dead of Winter. Oh. And then the next Thursday, I stayed, and you were like, I'm out. And I was like, we'll play Manchester Madness. And she's like, what the crap? Because <laughs> Dead of Winter is fine. It's just it's a good game. I just, I don't know. Seems like too much going on just to, I guess I like the lore. Of, of, of Mages of Madness more. Well, I mean, it's got that whole Cthulhu Lovecraftian mythos behind it. So. And, and the app helps out so much. Like, I love that. It gives you the atmosphere, the music, and all that crap. Mm-hmm. Like, that's if Dead of Winter had an app with it that worked like that, I probably would like it more. But, like, I don't I don't really care for Dead of Winter or Pandemic anymore. Like, I just... I'm not a fan of Pandemic. It's just too much work for a virus. That's what I'm saying. That's how you Dead of Winter. Too much work just to survive zombies. Still, it's still fun though. Yeah, still like yeah. it. I'm a, I'm a I'm an epic spell war guy still though. Just like goofy, like let's mm. just. What I want to do is have like games like epic spell wars one day, at work after work. I mean, um, do some epic spell wars and then like have a Smash Brothers tournament. That'd be fun. I like Necronomicon cards. I found found it. That's a great game, man. I hate how good that game is. That is a really good game. Anybody has never played that game? It's by Andy Hunt, and that's awesome. It's got a great, um, just the game itself is so simple, mm-hmm. but it's got a lot of good like pop culture uh, references in it. And he, he's a really good artist. He is a really good artist. I, I like all his stuff. I don't know how he gets away with it. I mean, who knows? Maybe he has some copyright stuff. Maybe he does. Maybe it's so many schools that no one pays attention. I mean, he doesn't name the characters outright. Mm-hmm. No, no. Well, uh, the David Lopan card does say David Lopan. Mm. But like the the Freddy Krueger one doesn't say Freddy Krueger. It says like uh, the Nightmare Monster. Yeah, the Nightmare, yeah. And then the the Trump one, the orange monster, the orange face monster, oh, orange man bad. Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, man. Like people have their uh, their teams that they're on, and they don't. It's just like you better toe the line. I don't like being a team. I feel like, I mean, if you, just to be a true neutral and go through everything, that that's going to lead you to the right path. There'll be some decisions you have to make along the way, some personal, sometimes moral, but, like, you shouldn't just take everything at face value. No, Lord, no. Especially not politically, geez. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. If you want to know the true secret to politics and, and just anything like that, philosophy, whatever, 
buy a pipe, all right? And then when you get the pipe, buy tobacco, okay? And now think of a subject, fill your pipe up with tobacco, yeah. light it, tamp it, light it again because that's your true light, and then smoke for one hour thinking on that subject. And if you are allowing yourself the ability to work through problems that you're not necessarily used to, especially if you've read them or listened to commentary on it, reading's better, but still. And you can go through the process of rationalizing a thought, mm -hmm. and you give yourself an hour to do that, you're going to be better. No, but no. you should never just like jump to the conclusion that Trump is bad, Hillary's bad, whoever. You need to you need to think through why and what. You don't you don't need to just be like blue, red, whatever. Yeah. I think that was probably my problem when I um when I got out of college and I sort of hit this revolution where I sort of felt like I was libertarianish. But I jumped the gun in it, man. But I'm not. I'm not like I'm not hundred percent and thing is you shouldn't be you should sit there and think on it what you should have your opinions and how do you feel about them think them through mm -hmm. I mean that's just that works out for me because then I don't have to be a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or the Green Party I can be all parties and no parties yeah you can say the heck with that or yay with that mm -hmm. whatever it may be I mean heck I mean you may even your mind may change your mind after a couple bowls. Mm-hmm. Which is have to happen. That's just pretty much going to happen. Speaking of bowls, I'm down to the end of mine. What about you? Yep, I'm there. All right, everyone. It's always enjoyable to come back and talk with Patrick, smoke a pipe, and uh, sit with you guys. So uh, from us to you, thanks again for listening in, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Pipecast. Bye. This has been a Pipecast production, and we hope to see you at the next Full Bowl. <laughs>